grab our Bibles this morning. We'll be in the last chapter of the book of Nehemiah as we draw this study to a conclusion today. And I always get a little sad when we come to the end of a particular series, uh, just because I know as we work verse by verse through Scripture, uh, you know, it's, it, you kind of get familiar with these characters that you're studying, and you get familiar with these circumstances. And I'm glad that though we close the, the book on this particular uh, study that we're in, how many of you are glad there's still a lot more to study? Amen. And uh, I'm going to just kind of present to you a little bit about what the next part of our year looks like in the Word of God so that you can be in prayer and plan in your heart about where we're going to be in the Word of God. And so this is our last Sunday in Nehemiah. Next Sunday, we start a new series that is going to be focused on the book of 1 Peter. We're calling it Under Pressure. And Peter is writing to a scattered group of believers that are under distress. Uh, they're going through persecution and difficulty. And I think there are going to be a lot of parallels that we'll be able to draw from of knowing how to deal with difficulty in our life, uncertainty in our life, and how God will use those times really as a refining point to develop our faith. So uh, you be in prayer for that. I hope you'll be connected to it. And uh, that will begin next Sunday during our morning services. Now, Wednesday, we're getting ready to wrap up the series that we're currently in on the promises of God. And uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, we're starting a new series on killing the gospel. We're going to be talking about the effects of social justice in the church and how really at its heart, it does not promote the gospel. In many ways, it kills the attributes of the gospel. And this is part of our culture today. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of social justice on the surface. It purports a certain type of righteousness, but we find that really the type of righteousness it purports is not that of God, it's that of humanity. And so what we want is we want the righteousness of God. And we're going to talk about how we as Christians walk through our culture today in truth and not get swept away in the deceit of social justice. So that won't be this Wednesday, but it will be the following Wednesday. So be in prayer for these series. I believe God will use them in our church and even in our community, especially the series on killing the gospel. Man, invite a friend, invite a coworker, invite a neighbor, invite a family member to these. I think it will be very enlightening about what's going on in our culture today. Well, today we're going to dig right into Nehemiah chapter number 13. Uh, the title of today's lesson is Relapse and Restoration. And what we're going to find today in this final chapter of Nehemiah is kind of disheartening. It's kind of anticlimactic because you would, you would hope that, boy, Nehemiah came back, the, the walls were rebuilt, reforms were instituted, God's people were repenting, they're now living for God. But what we find is there's a space in time where Nehemiah goes back to Persia. And when Nehemiah goes back to Persia, the leadership that remains there in Jerusalem is not very faithful and the people of God begin to relapse once more back into the previous behavior and attitudes that really got them in trouble in the first place. And isn't that like us as people? I mean, it's easy for us to look at this scenario some thousands of years ago and say, hey, those, those people, they just don't get it. Well, how many of you know we don't really often get it today either? And so I want us to look today not just, just for learning or academia. I want us to look at what we're going to read today as a mirror that reflects us back to ourselves and our tendencies to stray from the Lord. The great hymn writer wrote these words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And don't you know, that's really at the heart of our flesh. Our flesh 
disconnects from truth often. And so today, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 13, I want us to see ways that we can prevent a relapse in our worship and following of God. So if you found your place there in Nehemiah 13, we're going to begin reading with verse number one. If you're physically able to stand, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. We're going to read the the chapter in its entirety this morning. On that day, they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them, that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into a blessing. How many of you are glad our God works that way? In his mercy, in his grace, when we deserve judgment and difficulty, he many times will take evil and put it for good in our life. And I just want us to understand the temperament and nature of our great God as we read through this this morning. Notice with me verse 3. Now it came to pass when they heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And before this, Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber where aforetime they laid the meat offerings, the frankincense and the vessels and the tithes of the corn, the new wine and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites and the singers and the porters and the offerings of the priests. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah had gone back to Persia. For in the two and thirtieth year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. And I came back to Jerusalem. So now Nehemiah, having left Jerusalem and had reformed it and had brought God's people back to God and put the walls back in their place, he'd gone away, but now this is his second trip back to Jerusalem. And this is what he finds is happening upon his second return. Notice again with me, verse 7, And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore, I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers. And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God and the meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled every one to his field. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then brought all Judah the tithe of the corn and the new wine and the oil unto the treasuries. And I made treasurers over the treasuries, Shelmiah, the priest, and Zadok, the scribe, and of the Levites, Padiah. And next to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Mattaniah. For they were counted faithful, and their office was to distribute unto their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and wipe not out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for the offices thereof. In those days saw I Judah, some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves and lading asses, as also wine, grapes, and figs, and all manner of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also within 
uh, therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware and sold on the Sabbath under the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, what evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gates that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath. So the merchants and sellers of all kinds of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. How many of you know Nehemiah is getting serious about this thing? Put my hands on you if you come around these people again, mess up our Sabbath day. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. It was effective, folks, okay? And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. In those days also I saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab, and their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them, and cursed them, and smote certain of them, and plucked off their hair. How many of you want to go to this church? I mean, he's getting serious about this. He's beating people up, pulling out their hair. I mean, this is a big deal. Notice as we continue on. I plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Joida, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, every one in his business. And for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits, remember me, O my God, for good. It's disappointing. It's disappointing. There was revival. There was repentance. There was a coming back to God. There was hope for future generations. And yet, because of certain things, we find that these people regressed back into a pattern of disobedience with God. And don't we struggle with some of those same disappointments in our lives as God's people? Where God convicts us and he draws out of our lives to sometimes painful direction. He draws out our understanding of sin and he brings us to a place of repentance. And then yet again, our flesh battles us every day and 
and we find ourselves in instances regressing away from the truth of God's word, how do, how do we prevent that? What do we need to know to stop that? How do we stay faithful in service and relationship with our God? Let's ask God to help us in our understanding of that this morning as we go through this chapter of Scripture. Heavenly Father, God, please work in our hearts. You're you're so merciful to us. God, you've been certainly merciful to me. You're so long-suffering toward us. And and we have this tendency, God, to, to yield to the flesh instead of yielding to the Spirit. I pray, God, you'd help us with that today, that we would love you, that we would surrender to you, and in our surrender, that we would, we would bring into our lives an understanding of how we can prevent a relapse and walking away from you. So help us in our lives this morning through the power of your spirit and the truth of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning, as we look really at this final chapter of Nehemiah more as a mirror than anything else, it's going to reflect some painful things back to us. This is just the reality. And I'm glad that God does not sweep his people's sins under the rug and hide them from us in Scripture. It would have been very easy to conclude Nehemiah at chapter 12, and they lived happily ever after. But that wouldn't have been the truth, because that's not always the truth in our lives. How many of you were saved a long time ago, and you know today's going to be a struggle for you? And tomorrow's going to be a struggle for you, because we still live in this sin-cursed, broken world. We still drag around this dead flesh that we battle with every day. And so what do we need to be aware of as God's people? to prevent us from relapsing and walking away from relationship with him and his word. Well, the first thing that I believe we see in our passage this morning is if we're going to prevent a relapse, then we need to avoid a leadership vacuum. We need to avoid a leadership vacuum. How many of you understand that nature abhors a vacuum? And wherever there's a vacuum, there's something usually that's getting sucked right into that space. And what was happening for the people of God is as there was no strong spiritual leadership, Nehemiah had moved away. We don't know why he moved away. We know why why Nehemiah came to Jerusalem. Nehemiah is very descriptive about that. He heard of the condition of Jerusalem. God gave him a burden in his heart. He, He made himself right with God, and then he went to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to bring the city back together. So we know why he went to Jerusalem, But Scripture doesn't say why he went back to Persia. We don't know why he left. Perhaps the king said, time is up after those 12 years he was in Jerusalem and said, come back and be my cupbearer again. Maybe he felt led in some way to go back to Persia. We don't know why he went back. But we know that when he did, the leadership that remained in Jerusalem did not remain faithful to God. And it created this leadership vacuum in the city and amongst this people. And we see that it's a very dangerous thing. Listen, we are created for order in our life. We are created where God gives us the gifts of leadership in areas of our life. In fact, Ephesians chapter number four speaks to this. And Hebrews chapter number 13 speaks to this. It says that God gives us the gift of leaders, of pastors, of teachers, of elders. It says in Hebrews chapter number 13 that we're to obey them that have the rule over us because they give an account for our souls. So God institutes proper leadership in our life. And where there is not proper leadership, 
There is this vacuum that's created. And make no mistake about it, when there's a spiritual vacuum that's created in our life, in our home, or in our church, Satan will easily find a way to fill it up. And that's what's happening here in Jerusalem. With this vacuum of leadership, with Eliashib, the priest, now being aligned with Tobiah, the enemy of God, the enemy of Nehemiah, and the enemy of Jerusalem, we find that this vacancy of leadership now leads to Tobiah moving into the house of God. I mean, the world has come to the house of God and made an apartment and is living in the house of God. You see, wherever there's a vacuum of leadership, Satan will find a way to fill it. And he'll fill it with something that's worldly and he'll fill it with something that's sinful and he'll fill it with something that's destructive. We find Tobiah moves in and now that Tobiah moves into the house of God, people who are bringing the the, the wares for the porters of the temple and, and bringing the victuals and bringing the things that help to support the sustenance of God's work, they were now being removed from the place of the temple. They were out working in the fields. And the whole process of Jerusalem honoring God was falling apart because there was this vacuum of leadership. Listen, Christian, we're not to run away from good leadership. We're to run toward good leadership in our lives. We're not to discount the blessings of good godly leadership. We're to help and to support and to pray for the presence of good godly leadership in our lives. And we find here that Satan is having a heyday in moving the world right into the place of God. In the absence of Nehemiah, in the faltering of the priest Eliashib, we find that personal and public leadership was disintegrating in Jerusalem. Listen, person of God, if you as an individual do not seek to be in subjection to spiritual leadership in your life, the Bible tells us this, no man can serve two masters. But how many of you know you are serving somebody? And either you will hate the one and cling to the other, or you'll despise the one and, and grab onto the other. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. And if we don't bring good spiritual leadership into our lives personally, then we're going to allow the voices in the world to lead us personally. And the world and the philosophies of the world will take up resident in your heart, in your mind, and in your life, just like Tobiah took up residency in the house of God right there in Jerusalem. Good, godly leadership protects our homes Good, godly leadership protects our churches. Good, godly leadership can protect a nation. But where there's an absence of leadership, the devil will move frustration and confusion and worldly philosophies right into the middle of that vacuum. And oh, aren't we experiencing the fruit of that in our world today? We're experiencing that in our homes. We're experiencing that in our churches and we are experiencing that in our nation. And if we're going to avoid regressing away from the move of God in our life, then we need to avoid a leadership vacuum. We have a starting point class here at our church. And the purpose of that starting point class are for people who are newer to our church, primarily to connect with the church and know about the church and understand how our church works and functions. And I 
Tell every class that comes through there, hey, this may not be the church that God connects you with. Maybe he's gonna connect you with another church. And we understand that. Our church isn't necessarily for everybody. I, I get that. How many of you know it's God that builds his church? Uh, God's the one who arranges members and brings what's needed in and, and helps with all those types of things. I'm not God, so I can't tell people if they're supposed to be members of our church. I just smile at them and be nice. But, but this is the point. You do need spiritual leadership in your life. And so I always encourage them, if this isn't the church for you, then find a church, but make sure that church has good leadership from the word of God, that they are going to preach to you the truth, that they are going to give you the whole counsel of God, that they are going to be diligent to name things that we need to stay away from and promote things that we are to run toward. Make sure that you have good spiritual leadership in your life. Make sure that you have good spiritual leadership in your home. Parents, don't create a vacuum in your home. Have the word of God open in your home. Read the word of God to your children. Teach them the truths of God's word. Talk with them about life and how we live pleasing to God. Don't let there be a vacuum because how many of you know there's a lot of mechanisms that will fill that vacuum in your home? That TV will pump a lot of philosophy into your home. That music will pump a lot of philosophy into your home. Friends and schools and family members will, will, will pump a lot of philosophy into your home. You have to take spiritual leadership. So we find here that these people regressed from, from really what God was doing in their life and in their heart because there was a vacuum of leadership. How do we avoid regressing in our walk with the Lord? Well, we avoid a leadership vacuum. Secondly, in our passage, we see that we need to avoid a neglectful church. Hey, do you want to stay close to the Lord? Do you want to stay walking with him? Do you want to stay on fire for God? Then avoid a neglectful church. Notice what happened when Nehemiah came back on the scene. He took Tobiah in verse number seven, and he threw him out of the courts of God's house. In verse number eight, he was angry at what was going on, and he was throwing furniture out the door. He took Tobias' couch and went, boom, launched it. He took everything, just threw it out of the house. And then not only did he throw Tobias out and throw all his stuff out, he went in there with some Clorox and did a deep cleaning. I mean, he just scrubbed all of the junk out of there. Notice what it says in verse Number nine, and then after I threw all of his furniture out, I told him to go and cleanse the chambers and bring God's stuff back in again. Hey, you need to be part of a church that's not neglectful of where they're at spiritually. You need to be part of a church that's not just going to open up the floodgates and let every worldly thing in. Hey, we are not the world. We're not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of God. And by the way, it has no business in the house of God. It has no business taking residence among the people of God. And we've seen church so deluded, so neglectful of this. 
We, we have churches today that now uh, play this bait and switch game with this seeker sensitive movement that has developed this mentality toward church that, man, we got to look like the world and act like the world and think like the world in order to lure the world in. And then when we get them in, then we'll flip it around and we'll, we'll read some Bible to them. Well, let me just tell you something. The church isn't for the world. The church is for the people of God. Nowhere in Scripture does it say for the world to come into the church. It tells the church to go out into the world and be a witness. The church needs to be holy. The church needs to be sanctified. The church needs to be on fire for God. It needs to be taught. It needs to be encouraged. It needs to hold strong. It needs to have the values of Scripture. This should be the place of solace that God people can come in from out of the world and be cleansed by the word of God and outfitted to go back out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This isn't a nightclub. This isn't a social club. This isn't a place for worldly fancies to go on. This is the house of God. And church needs to be the house of God again. It needs to be the house of God again. We need to be a people who will avoid a neglectful church. Notice they weren't even providing for their church. And I know the church didn't exist in the Old Testament. I'm not trying to draw a direct parallel here. I know we're the church right now, but this is the congregation of God. These are people that worshiped God. And I believe that these things, how many of you believe the Old Testament still applies to us today? How many believe that these things were written for our admonition, for our examples? I need to work out more because I'm out of breath right now. And we're to connect with this and learn from it. And so this congregation met together, and, and, and we find that in their laps, they were no longer taking care of, of the mode and method for how they met together. They weren't providing uh, the, the food and the meals and the things for the, the, the Levites, and so they went back out into the fields to work again. So the house of God was being neglected. We find that in their neglect, they were not providing for God's work and they were not accomplishing God's work. How many of you know we can't afford not to provide for the work of God? We can't afford not to do the work of God today. The church is here for a reason. We're here to be the salt and the light. We're here to get the gospel out. We're here to send missionaries out. We're here to train up people in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're here to learn more about Jesus. We're here to become more like our Savior. And the work of the church needs to continue. Hey, I'm glad that we're part of a church body that's continuing even through times that are uncertain. I'm glad to see you here this morning. I'm glad that we're a giving church. I got to meet with our trustees here a few weeks back, and, and we were doing some uh, understanding of our finances and how we've come through COVID and how people have given to the cause of Christ and where we're at in our missions budget and where we're at in our paying of bills. How many of you are glad the lights are on this morning? Isn't that good? It's nice to be able to see your Bibles. How many of you are glad even more that the air's on this morning, right? And so all of this, we're, we've been a giving church, and, and we want to never neglect the the, the, the house of God, the work of Christ. We want to be able to continue to send out missionaries. We want to continue to preach the word of God. We want to continue to reach out to our community. I'm looking forward to this First Responders Sunday that's coming up right around the corner. I'm glad to hear of many people coming in from many different areas that perhaps will hear the gospel maybe even for the first time, real plain and real clear. 
So we need to provide for those things. Hey, don't, don't be part of a church that's laissez-faire about the work of God. Be a part of a church that's passionate about giving. Be a part of a church where giving's taught about and referenced when it comes up in the word of God. Be, a, be part of a church that has plans and vision so you know that what you're spending is going towards something that's actually effective for the kingdom of God. If we want to avoid regressing in our walk with the Lord, then we need to avoid the neglect of the church. Thirdly, this morning in our passage, we see that we need to avoid a profane worship. We need to avoid a profane worship. We saw as we read through our passage what these people were doing again on the Sabbath day. Again, it says in verse 15, there was treading of the wine presses. There was the bringing in of the sheaves. There was the lading of the asses. There was the bringing in of the grapes and the figs and the fish and the wares and the heathen were buying and selling and trading. And they, they were not observing the Sabbath once again. And we find that it became profane. Notice what Nehemiah says here in verse number 17. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, what evil thing is this that ye do? And profane the Sabbath day. What does it mean to profane? It means to make crude or in our terms, regular, unimportant, not special, just mundane. And that's what they were doing to this time of worship. It was the absence of something special. Saturday or the Sabbath day became just like every other day. We're buying and trading and selling and doing business and carrying heavy loads here, there, and everywhere. It was the same thing. There was not a special day. Now, I recognize and realize that we do not observe the Sabbath day in the way that these Old Testament saints observed the Sabbath day. We understand that Jesus is our rest. By the way, how many of you are glad that Jesus is our rest? Amen. Jesus is our Sabbath. And we rest in him. But we do observe a special day of worship and we observe the first day of the week. And how many of you know there is something special about Christ's resurrection? And yet for many people, even today, it's not a special day for them. You know, it's like, a frustration to get to church. Hey, did we find all the socks? Did we get all the kids to the van? Did we, you know, fighting on the way to church. And then, hey, this is just my life, so don't feel convicted. This is just me. <laughs> drive up into the driveway, paint a smile on your face, get in the church. Hey, let's wrap this up, Pastor. I've got something in the crock pot. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Done. <laughs> Home. And the ball game goes on, and the shopping commences, and the video games get fired up, and and there's nothing really special that happened. There's not a dedication in our heart to worship. It's just another checkbox on our ritual for a Sunday. And there's nothing special about it. And we got to really be concerned that our worship of our God doesn't become profane in our mind and in our heart. That Sunday isn't just like every other day. Sunday should be special. Hey, get some rest on Saturday night. Be prayerful on Saturday night. Uh, meditate on God's word a little bit on Saturday night. Ask God to do a work in your heart. Come expecting something from God on Sunday morning. Look at who you can affect, who you can encourage, how you can serve, what you can do in your local body, how God might lead you to connect with other people, to advance his kingdom within his church. 
and then listen intently to the preaching of the Word of God. If you don't, I'll catch you sometime and I'll hit the pulpit like that and you'll go like that. Uh, listen intently, listen with joy, listen with expectation. How many of you believe that every time we come to church and open up the word of God, God has something ready for us? He has something for you and me to hear. He has food for you and I to ingest and to meditate on and to focus on. And so we should come expecting. Sunday should be a special day. And I get that, that we're a culture that likes to be comfortable. I get that we're a culture, you know, that... You know, have fun in church, and I'm glad we can have fun. How many like laughing in church every once in a while? I don't think that we have to come, you know, dressed like monks, with hands folded, walking down the aisles, not saying hi or smiling, just going, oh, you know. I don't think that's what God wants from us. But I do think this, I think church should be a special place. I think worship should be a special thing. I think it should be a dedication in our heart, a dedication in our mind, a dedication in our time, a dedication in our energy, a focus in our lives to such an extent that we amplify it above all other things. That's why we do it on Resurrection Sunday. That's why we do it on the first day of the week. How many of you believe God deserves our first and our best? And I believe that if we will come and we will worship rightly and not profanely, if it's not just another checkbox on our worldly to-do list, that we will leave this place filled and enriched, sometimes convicted, sometimes repentant, many times uh, full of the Word of God that we can meditate on for the rest of the week. We find that there was an absence of something special, but also we find that there was an absence of something sacred. There was an absence of something sacred in the church. There was an absence of something sacred in this community in Jerusalem. Not only were they trading and selling and pressing out the wine and harvesting their crops, but notice what else was happening. Verse number 20, so the merchants and sellers, these are people, many of them from the pagan nations were coming in and out of the gate. Now, now when Nehemiah came, they were lodging outside the, the walls in verse number 20. And in verse number 21, uh, Nehemiah says to them, why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth, they no more came on the Sabbath. So the leadership got serious about really the integrity of their worship. He got serious about the fact this is sacred and we're not going to let the world into it. We're not going to let that which is defiled come before our God. We are going to sanctify it. Notice how they took measures to do this. Verse number 22. I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. That word sanctify means cleansed and set apart for the master's use. And you know, today, you know, the church has become a habitual committer of bringing things that are worldly and fleshly and carnal into the church because we think that's the only way we can grow a church. That's the only way we can appeal to people and get them to come in and, and get them to be part of what we're doing and, and maybe over time they'll get saved. No, 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 no. That's not the way we do it. You know what people need more than anything and you know what's gonna draw people to the Lord is when we lift Jesus up. Amen. When we lift the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ up, when we lift the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ up, when we lift his saving power up. And how do we do that? Through the preaching of the word of God. That's how we do that. And so we need to get back to the sacred nature of what it means 
to worship our God again. It's sacred. Sometimes we've developed a flippant attitude towards our worship. Sometimes we've developed too casual of a nature concerning our worship. How many of you know if you're too comfortable, you probably can't even hear the message? You know, lazy boy recliners, cup holder, Cheetos, earmuffs. Pretty soon you're out, right? I'm not saying, by the way, how many of you are glad we have comfortable seating in here? The air conditioning is in my power, so I can do whatever I want with it. So how, how many of you come into church before and it's felt like you could keep ice cream in here, right? Yeah. But you stay awake, don't you? Yeah. So, so what we do, though, is we try to cater many times the service or the worship or our attitude towards worship to appeal so much to the flesh that we are so sensitized to the flesh that we can't receive anything in the spirit. And what we need to do is we need to understand that this is still a time of sacred worship to God. He deserves our attention. He deserves our best. And what we do needs to be cleansed from the world. It needs to be focused on God. Lastly, this morning, how do we avoid regressing in our walk with the Lord? Well, we avoid a compromised identity. We avoid a compromised identity. Verses 23 through the end of the chapter, Nehemiah is dealing with a continual problem with God's people. The problem is, is that they're intermarrying with these pagan nations. The people of Israel are giving their daughters to the sons of the pagans or their sons to the daughters of the pagans, and they're receiving the daughters of the pagans for their sons. And Nehemiah says, you can't do this. And he gives the reasoning why in verse number 26, you know Solomon, by the way, how many of you know most people have heard of Solomon? This is a pretty well-known example that Nehemiah turns to. One of the most revered kings in all of Israel, endowed with tremendous wisdom by God. And he said, even Solomon, this very wise king, whom God loved very much, had his heart turned away from God unto idols because of the strange or heathen women that he brought in to marry. And he says, listen, we can't allow the intermarrying of our children with the pagan children. And you know, that's a huge problem in Christianity today. Listen, I can't express to you enough, parents, how important it is that you pray for and lead your children to find good, godly Christian spouses. Amen. You need to focus on that. You need to make that one of the priorities of your home. Oh, it's fine. He's a good guy. Oh, it's fine. She's a good girl. Do they love Jesus? Do they know Jesus? Are they visibly living for Jesus? Are they excited about church? Are they excited about the things of God? Are they excited about growing in their walk with the Lord? These are all things that are visible. How many of you know a testimony is visible? You can see it. You can detect it. You know that spirit. It bears witness. And you need to pray for and nurture that in the relationship. I've got, you say, Pastor, you've got three daughters. What are you doing? I cry a lot. I cry a lot cry a lot and pray a lot and pray with them and teach them what to look for and say, hey, this is what you want in a spouse. And Nehemiah got serious about this. Notice with me, verse number 25, and I contended with them and I cursed them and I smote certain of them and I plucked off their hair. How many of you know Nehemiah got their attention? 
And, and the reason why Nehemiah was being so fierce about this is because this is the whole reason that the nation of Israel got in the mess they were in in the first place, is they intermarried with people who were not believers and they brought idols into their encampments and they brought idols into their worship process and it led to them being in severe captivity. It led to their walls being torn down, to their city being burnt with fire, to them being a reproach for some 141 odd years. This is important. Avoid compromising your identity. You are, if you're saved, the children of God. The children of God, that's your identity. And you want your sons and your daughters you want them to know the Lord and to marry people that know the Lord. And you want to have close relationships with people that know the Lord. You want to have your, your, your most close influences be people that know the Lord, people who can speak into your life. Avoid a compromised identity. Chapter 13 is discouraging. I'm not going to lie to you. We'd like to believe that we can reform ourselves. We can't reform ourselves. How many of you know our flesh goes right back to where it's from? But what we can do is we can obey the word of God. And I want to draw your attention again to how Nehemiah came back the second time and brought order to his people. Just for a moment, look at the very beginning of this chapter, chapter 13. On that day, they read in the book of Moses. Do you want to get right with God? Then you got to get back to the book. Do you want to be right with God? Then you got to be in the book. Do you want to stay right with God? Then you need to stay in the book. This is a light unto our feet it straightens our path. It washes us clean. We need the word of God. Let's all stand this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. Heads bowed, eyes closed. No one looking around this morning. Maybe you're here and you aren't a child of God. You're not for sure that if you died today, you'd be with God in heaven. There's never been a time in your life personally where you've acknowledged your sin before God, requested him to save you and to wash you clean and for his spirit to indwell you. You try to be a good person, you're even in church today, but, but you've not made this relationship personal. I want you to know God loves you and he loved you so much that he came from heaven to earth in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And the third day, he rose again, victorious over sin and death, so that we might have eternal life in him. And the Bible tells us, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on him personally? Heads are bad, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. I won't come back to you, I won't embarrass you in any way. But I would like to pray that God will continue to work in your heart. And this morning, if you'd say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved, would you raise your hand? Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I don't know for sure if I died today that I'd be with God in heaven. Anybody like that this morning? I'm just not sure. Just want to pray for you. Anybody like that? All right, then, Christian, are you living in such a way to help you to not regress in your walk with the Lord? Are you avoiding the leadership vacuum, allowing yourself to be led by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, and by the gifts that God has given around you to lead? Are you avoiding a neglectful church, focusing in on the importance of what God has desired and designed for his people to do? Are you avoiding a profane worship? Just normal, every day. No, this is special. What we give to God is special. And we need to do it purposefully. Are you avoiding a compromised identity? 